And I think that means we're recording. I like when we're recording. Okay, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm checking to see if the files in the folder were there. Scott, you're still with us, right? We hit the big red button. Usually I am here. Like, that's awesome. I'm still here. Yeah. It's, never, the, it's never a good thing in IT when you hit the big red button unless you're hitting record. I thought that was the easy button. It is the easy button. I always get those confused. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's get this show let's get this show started. So in the three, two, one here, uh, welcome to the I believe this is the eighth. I'm, I'm having a hard time counting now. This is the eighth seven. installment. Oh, no, seven. you put seven on here. But it's eight. Oh. It's the eighth. In, let's argue. The first thing in the show, um, the eighth installment of the Hot Hot, and uh, I am one of the hosts. I'm Brian Carpenter, and I'm Brent Piotti. And uh, today we have a show. Basically, today's show. Um, our goal is to kind of educate you on EMC Ventures uh, and venture capital in general. I mean, EMC Ventures is a big part of that for us, but uh, venture capital, mergers and acquisitions, um, activities around funding, um, you know, starting startups, merging with people, um, acquiring, um, you know, acquiring existing technologies, uh, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about how that business improves the Federation and just kind of bring you know, uh, topics up. And, you know, so today's topics are EMC ventures and venture capital in general, you know, M&A and how that fits into venture strategy, uh, as well as, you know, kind of the anatomy of an interesting deal. Um, so our guest today, our illustrious guest and a very hard person to get a hold of, I think right now he's on his plane. Um, and so this is our first interview on a plane, um, is Scott Darling, who is president of EMC corporate development and ventures. Scott. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing this morning, Scott? I'm doing great. I had a nice early start. Well, tell me, what's early to you? The president of uh, EMC Corporate Development Adventures, you probably get up at 3.30 a.m., have your coffee, read the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) Actually, you know, it's the modern era, so... Uh, ten years ago, the Wall Street Journal was the uh, was the, uh, the, the the subject of of record on business stuff. But like everything today, the Wall Street Journal uh, it, it's go online and read uh, ten websites versus the Wall Street Journal. But yeah, you got the heart of it. Okay, well no, maybe at so, the uh... so, so early is uh, early is when the work calls start at four thirty, you know, seven thirty East Coast time. But uh, hope. Thankfully, that doesn't happen too much. Okay. Well, we'll put uh, we'll put a note at the end to to get some of those websites that you frequent, so that uh, yeah. we we can all educate ourselves as well. Sure. So, Scott, you um, you basically you, you've been at EMC for roughly three and a half, four years now. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's about right. Yep. And uh, before that, I think uh, as I LinkedIn stalked you, you were at Intel. As you were at Intel for roughly sixteen years. Yeah, I was at Intel a while. Actually, right before EMC, I was at uh, a private venture firm, uh, Fraser Ventures. Um, before that, I was at Intel, and and before that, at Apple. And and we do one of the things is that's that's what's exciting about you as a guest. We do want to talk about what the difference is between corporate venturing and private venturing, and how those are kind of different in the strategies yep. and things like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, and you, uh, it also said here, you got your MBA at Stanford. I did, yep. Were you in the band? Uh, no, I didn't pull my pants down on the football field or anything like that. <laughs> or at least not that you could admit on for, for, So, By the way, you should probably explain that. I don't want to get a bad reputation. The, the Stanford band uh, 
when I was at Stanford, had a reputation for pretty outrageous behavior. But they have the they have the greatest outfits and the the most amount of practice in in college sports, right? They're a fun group, no question. I see you as more of like the the tree. I, I don't quite understand the Stanford Cardinal yet the tree thing, but uh, I see you as more of the tree rather than the uh, the people getting run over by the football players. Yeah, I would have preferred a cougar or some other ferocious animal, but we got stuck with the tree. Okay, that's well. Um, that is awesome, and uh, it is. It's a great school. And are you? Have you been based in like kind of the Palo Alto area for most of your life after school, or I mean, I guess in the the Bay Area or California? Well, uh, not to go back too early, but I have a little bit of a. a a different background, I guess I'll say. My dad worked for the State Department, so I actually grew up in Latin America. And then, yes, I went to undergrad and graduate school in the Bay Area, and have pretty much worked in the, you know, in Silicon Valley. I did some work up in the Northwest for a while, but pretty much located in Silicon Valley for since uh, 1980. Well, and still, you are there today. What uh, what's the the driving force behind? keeping you uh, on the on the west coast in california particularly yeah not to sound like a west coast bigot because i don't i don't want to come across that way but you know if you look uh, you know turning to some of the subject matter that hopefully is of interest to you guys and your audiences if you look at the dispersion of venture capital inside the united states about I mean, these are round numbers, so don't don't anybody call me up and tell me I'm off by one-tenth of a decimal point or something, but roughly 50% of all venture investment is done in the Northern California area. Uh, there's a lot of other great venture markets in the United States, you know, uh, ranging from, you know, the Seattle to Southern California to Texas to Boston to New York, etc., but all of those together are roughly about the same amount of capital invested as is invested in Northern California. So uh, to maybe use a bad, you know, what, what Manhattan is to investment banking, Northern California is to venture. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I think uh, that's, it seems like that's your passion. You've been, you've been doing uh, something in that way, shape or form for quite some time. Um, it looks like you did start, uh, kind of down an engineering path though if you look at your your schooling at uh, UC Santa Cruz and then some of your roles at Intel um, it was yep. in the engineering field so how did you transition from you know say something you know call it super technical to uh, something more in the in the lines of business and understanding you know what makes an entity tick and and why it's something that you're interested in, in looking at and investing in or purchasing well, that's that's an, actually an interesting question. I was uh, work. I was, and uh, I'll give you the cleaned up version of this. But uh, I was at Intel, happily working in the product group. Um, you know, as kind of a, in a general management role, running a product group, designing some next generation products. And I got a call from the CEO at the time. This was probably early two thousand. Uh, saying that, hey, I want you to change a, your job and go from running this business group to moving over to Intel Capital, which is Intel's venture arm. And uh, he expressed some concerns about how some things were being done, and that the person, you know, that the person who was running the group at the time 
had been at Intel a very long time, was one of the earliest employees at Intel and was going to retire and they wanted to get, you know, get ready for a transition. So, um, uh, being a good, you know, engineering and product guy, I had no interest in the job whatsoever, uh, because I felt like, you know, I didn't know that much about it and felt like it was a, um, you know, this was a while ago before venture was, had, you know, was as well known as it is today. And, um, I viewed it as kind of going to the dark side, you know, I thought it was a finance job and it's not what I really wanted to do and talked to a few people and they explained to me that when the CEO calls you to ask you to do something, he's not really asking. <laughs> so, um, being an astute guy, I eventually figured that out. So, so I transferred over and that's how I ended up doing that and that was quite some time ago. And it was right before the big bubble crash, so it was a big. It was. It ended up being quite the education for a while. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's. Um. You know, it, it's it's a long time in the making. I think we all learn things about ourselves and um, over our careers that that allow us to transition to different things. And so, it sounds like you you did those. You found your passion, and um, that got you along the path and, and where you are today. That's a that's that's very cool. Yeah, yeah, I like it. So, Scott, the um, you, one of the questions, one of the things I see in your LinkedIn profile is that you were actually a field sales engineer. Was that actually your first start at Intel? Uh, no, actually, uh, the way I got started at Intel was I got hired in to what they called customer marketing engineers, which were people that were basically interfaced with the field and. Uh, and I had a good friend who's still a good friend who ended up becoming the district manager for Northern California. And then I got accepted to Stanford and I was going to leave. And since uh, I was paying my way through school, he said, hey, you know, I just got made to DM. My slot is open. You should come take it uh, and you can save some money and, uh, you know, get a head start on paying for grad school. So, so uh, that's how I ended up in the field, it was a uh, you know uh, a great experience, as uh, as a lot of people say, and it's really true that uh, you know having having sales experience and you know actually being at the point where the checks change hands is a uh, you know whether you want to do it long term professionally because that's what your passion is or or not you having some exposure to that I think is critical so I you know I frequently look back on it and it was it was it was it was a great chunk of time so so Scott the uh, what, what I love about your um, your history is actually the fact that you were uh, one of us right so uh, Brent and I are both field sales engineers and when it comes down to it you know a little bit of a different title but uh, you're yep. one of us. And, you know, I think it's interesting for everybody to understand that you went from being one of us to being the president of EMC Ventures. Um, so that uh, we talk about it a lot, but career path is a very interesting conversation. And, uh, yep. you know, to see your progression and career path from just being uh, a dude slinging a bag with a laptop, probably not a laptop in it at that point, but maybe so 16 years ago, that's, a, that's it probably was, it, was, it was one of those uh, compact, you know, 16 pound luggables, but yeah, you got it. Yeah. So that, <laughs> you know, that's what I love about it. And, uh, you know, now you are the, um, there you are the president of EMC ventures and, uh, you know, getting, getting your calendar means that I have to get in sword fights with other people. 
So you're you're also you're on the board of directors for something I thought was really interesting, which is DocuSign. Um, I find yeah. it to be a really a really novel uh, piece of of our industry, and the value that it has to to people, the way we can do transactions today, and things like that is pretty fantastic. Um, I don't know how long you've been involved with them, but I don't. You know, a long you, time. So you know where yeah. where was that? I mean, obviously, if you say a long time, where was that when it was a when it was like, you know, Angel or, or, you know, any, any of those kind of things, what was the thought process around that product? And, you know, how was that? About? Yeah. Yeah, actually it's a, it's a fun thing. And by the way, the thing that's good about this story is that uh, it'll give everybody a sense of, you know, how long and, and how much work and how much respect the entrepreneurs that build these companies uh, deserve. Just, uh, just like the, the same respect that I have for our field folks, having having spent a small amount of time doing it. But you know, the other folks that I really take my hat off is to entrepreneurs that build these companies. So I actually did that deal. Uh, we did that investment. This was prior to my EMC days, uh, obviously. And uh, you know, one of the rules at EMC is that an executive is allowed to sit on. I think it's either one or two private boards, you know, that are not, uh, and and it's a good thing for EMC because you get exposed to other businesses and and hopefully those are learnings that you can bring into your role. But so the thought process between DocuSign was not particularly difficult. If you think about the way the world works today, is we do all this stuff electronically. You know, we. We, we look at things online, we you know, transact things, we do all these things, but when it comes out down to actual doing the transaction, you know, it reverts back to uh, you know, pen and paper, medieval style, analog technology, and, and the whole issue. And so you know, the, um, the thought behind DocuSign was to complete a complete digital transaction cycle um, and and it's not just electronic signature. It's about you know keeping the documents, the workflow, having it be discoverable, and all that sort of thing. So, for those of the folks who don't know DocuSign, it's now um, a, a great company. The the uh, last raise was a 250 million dollar raise at a three billion dollar ish valuation. Rough numbers was reported in the press. Um, so it's it's off to the races. It's a it's a big company doing great things now, and it's been a see it's been a eight nine ten eleven year journey so far. <laughs> well, very good. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, to the next topic here, Scott. Um, yep. So you know Brian talked about how tough it was to get on your calendar. And speaking of calendars, we like to do a little segment here called This Day in Tech History. So uh, today, which is July 17th, um, in the year 1975, Apollo 18 and Soyuz 19 successfully dock in orbit, and the astronauts and cosmonauts shake hands. So this is the first time in history that spacecraft from two different nations are able to actually dock in space. So that's pretty cool. So my question to you is, have you ever done a deal with the Russians? If so, tell me about it. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, I have, and uh, uh, we uh, at, in my EMC days, we we always there are a range of companies uh, across all geographies, including Russia, that we look at. We haven't uh, done anything at EMC. We did do we, I did do a range of deals at uh, at uh, Intel Capital, and um, 
Uh, I'll just say that every uh, market presents its own unique uh, challenges. Some of those deals were done in the days when things were um, a little on the wild side in Russia. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things we had to do, of course, was do background checks on the, the entrepreneurs and investors. And I'll just say that some of the things we found out were um, pretty interesting. So you were doing business with the KGB, you can admit it. Well, you know, uh, let's just say that the Russian, yeah, that was one thing that was interesting. And then the other one that got a little interesting at times is sometimes you found out there was a pretty significant criminal element involved. And that was a little, a little scary too. You say, you say criminal, we say family, you know, it's, that's uh, right. <laughs> so, that's right. Th- but that's, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things Except that- instead of, they don't cook pasta, they cook blinis. You know, nice. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Scott is, Scott is a worldly man. We're finding out more and more that, uh, knowing you means knowing a lot of things that, uh, is, is going to get us far places, you know. All I can ocean. tell you is be careful who you associate with. You might want to think hard before you say you know me. <laughs> we're gonna, after this phone call, we're going to cut off all ties or after this okay. uh, podcast here. So, it, you know, one of the things about the whole Apollo and uh, Soyuz, I'm not even sure I said that in Russian or English correctly, but um, is that it took, it took a long time. It took 13 years to get to that point. Um, we feel like, um, these, you know, this, that obviously that's a lot of negotiations, a lot of handholding and things like that. Do those long kind of protracted negotiations exist in your business or are people pretty, um, motivated to get things done pretty quickly and flexible? You know, it's, it ranges all over the map and I'll answer the question in two ways. You know, that sometimes deals take multiple years. I mean, sometimes, you know, um, and just to, uh, to state it, you know, the, the, the team here, as you guys said, is composed of our mergers and acquisition team as well as the venture team, uh, each doing you know a, a different thing. Obviously, merger and acquisition is primarily focused on acquiring companies that we want to have be part of the EMC family, companies like Extreme IO, which hopefully is uh, producing good results for you guys out there who are selling it. Um, but yeah. it also includes the venture team. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes we have conversations for people that, that are ongoing for two or three years before, you know, we actually get something done. On the venture side, what's interesting is, you know, your audience is sophisticated. People know the reality of startups. A lot of people in, you know, who don't, who don't work around technology companies really don't have any idea. The average time to maturity from a startup, by, and by maturity I mean either some kind of exit event, an acquisition, or a, or a um, you know um, uh, an IPO, is about eight to nine years, right? So everybody thinks these entrepreneurs go and found something, and you know a year later it's it's all great and good, and it's really it's a very hard hard slog for eight to nine years. So I guess my my uh, concluding remark is that, yeah, you know, these things always take longer than people expect. And some, you know, and building a company is a long, long haul, long, hard haul, a lot of hard, hard work. So we've said this, uh, I, and I love that. We said that the, we've said this a bunch. We've said these words, venture capital, uh, mergers, you know, deals. Um, we're going to pull it, pull it out of the weeds just a little bit, just to help people yeah. just in case they're, this is a new topic to them. So quickly, 
what what is venture capital uh you know to you you know it doesn't have to be the the dictionary version and yeah. you know like how what are the what are kind of the stages of of a venture type experience yeah well what you know what venture is is you know uh, co-investing with an entrepreneur who has you know they're investing maybe maybe a chunk of their money and certainly a very large chunk of their life uh into a something that they're passionate about and believe in and uh taking it from a raw concept to uh, a business which produces a product or a service which hopefully, you know, changes people's lives. And the role of the venture person there is to, uh, you know, be there, provide some perspective, advice, money, help with, you know, critical decisions, and um, uh, participate in building a company. And so um, is that, where does that differentiate from, uh, and by the way, that whole thing of like uh, parts of their lives, I always have liked to call that sweat equity. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, sometimes you maybe like for me, I don't have anything to contribute to anything, including this podcast, but I'll bring, <laughs> I'll bring myself and I'll bring some hard work and some late night phone calls if that helps. Um, but but equity is worth a lot. <laughs> and, but venture capital, right? Uh, it, that's yep. one thing. Um, but when you get to the other part of this and the other, the facet is mergers and acquisitions. So where yeah. do the, where does venture stop and where does the whole idea of M and a kind of start? Yeah. And, uh, we have a phenomenal M and a team at, at EMC and, um, I want to give a shout out to that whole team. They, you know, typically not always because we, we will, you know, right now we're involved in a transaction where, it is, in effect, a startup who's developed some great technology, but the market shifted on them in a way that uh, is going to make them getting to market difficult. So we're going to pick up some interesting technology and a team. Um, and that, so obviously that's a relatively early-stage company. Um, and Joe, um, our, our chairman and CEO, has even commented on this publicly that our M&A practice you know, typically when we bought, you know, companies like Data Domain and Isilon, these were large up-and-running companies with $100 million-plus kind of revenue streams. And we've been shifting on the M&A front. We've been shifting our focus earlier because valuations have gotten such that, you know, it's, it's really hard to uh, buy companies at stage because the, the prices are so high now. So we have to take a little bit higher technology and market risk go earlier and hope that they work out for us and i'll I'll give you if if, uh give you another few seconds on this before we move on to another topic but uh most people probably don't know that we actually invested in uh extreme io uh i think it was 2009 or 10 um we then you know worked with the company business-wise we actually had some EMC fellows, technologists working with the company for quite some time. So, um, you know, most people are probably familiar with the fact that we acquired the company in 2012, but our relationship with that company actually began three years earlier. And then with all your guys' great help and uh, on, the, on the SE side as well as on the general sales side, you guys then took that company from you know, nothing to, I think we've announced that they're on a roughly billion dollar cumulative revenue run rate at this point. Um, so, 
you know, and that and that's the thing that's really important to point out. I mean, this is you know at the at the risk of sounding a little trite. This is a team sport, right? So, you know, people did an early investment. The M and A team acquired them. The engineering teams helped create the product. You guys took it to market and sold it successfully, and you know it, it, it's worked out great. But it took you know seven, eight disciplines across the whole company to make it successful. And that, and that's you mentioned a couple of things. So one was you kind of mentioned um, an aqua hire, which is what I've learned to call it, and maybe yep. you guys have a different name, which is really yep. cool. No, um, we actually have a guest on show number ten who was an aqua hire, so we'll talk about that then. Um, okay, you, you may know him. I work for him. Um, and uh, you know, you also mentioned you know kind of some different companies. To me, it sounds like if I were to just define it outright, Extreme IO is a successful integration into the portfolio of a venture capital investment. Absolutely. Okay. So I know I'm simplifying it. I know there were tons of people involved, but I simplified it there from a mergers and acquisitions perspective of the exact same thing, something that's been successfully or is being successfully brought into the portfolio. Can you give me a name of one thing that is a successful M and a versus a venture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I is a a classic case, right? That's a big, large business for us. And, uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna apologize and say I know these are these are historical examples that everybody's familiar with. Obviously, the things that uh, are more recent, I can't talk about uh, just for all the obvious reasons. And um, uh, you know, and we, you know, the other thing that I do with the group uh, is we don't announce our venture investment. So, like, if, if you go to a website and look for EMC Ventures, you'll just see this simple thing that has our location and the name of the people, that sort of thing. And we don't list, you know, most venture folks, you know, put up a lot of information. And we we do that for a whole host of reasons. You know, we don't, it provides us more latitude to move in the market without people being able to read what we're doing or why we're doing it. It also helps the company, you know, um, on the one hand, if they need us to talk, you know, if they're trying to win a business and they need, they want to let somebody know that we're associated with them, we can do that quietly, you know, like a customer or something who wants to know that the technology has been validated by somebody like EMC that they respect. On the other hand, you know, if, if, um, you know, if, if somebody knows that we're invested in them, it can also complicate their ability to move in the marketplace. So, you know, my uh, philosophy is I like to run, you know, the old submariner's code. I like to run silent and deep, uh, um, and uh, it, it allows us a lot more strategic latitude in the marketplace. So that's why we do it. Very cool. So so you keep using the term we. So let's move on to to EMC Ventures, right? I mean, you are yep. the president of, of EMC Ventures and corporate development. Um, you talked about uh, Extreme IO, right, that you invested in them prior to what I believe was the, the actual start of, of EMC Ventures. Um, so my understanding yep. of that is it was in February of 2011. So um, when did you get brought on board and when did the actual EMC Ventures get started? Um, and then how did that, I mean, how, why did they break out a separate group out of whatever we had internally? Yeah, so um, that's another kind of uh, fun story. So uh, the venture team, uh, so just to be clear, because we mixed two topics there, the Extreme IO investment, I think, was done in 2009 or 10, um, and that was 
uh, done in conjunction between you know the business units and the corporate uh, 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 the uh, corporate development team, the M and A team. Um, I I got brought on. I I ran. I was working at a private venture firm at the time. I bumped into Pat Gelsinger, who people may know as the CEO of VMware. I had known Pat for quite some time at Intel. Worked for him and. You know, and actually did his venture work for him when he ran the the enterprise group at in, at Intel, and um, I think Pat teased me and told me to get a, a a real job and stop goofing around with private venture and come back into the corporate world. And one thing led to another, and after you know about a nine month process of talking to some board members, Joe and David and Howard and Pat and a whole bunch of people. Uh, I ended up coming on board. The reason uh, it took a while to come on board is I wanted to getting this corporate venturing thing right is really tricky. And wh- what I mean by getting it right is making sure that everybody's aligned about what it is exactly you're trying to accomplish and how you're going to measure success and how much latitude you're going to have. And that sort of thing. And let me give you an example on that of that because it sounds really abstract. But you know, one of the one of the thing is I work for uh, Bill Tuber, who's the uh, my reporting relationship is into Bill Tuber, Tuber, who's the you know vice chairman of the company. And we had a lot of conversations about that, and we have a great relationship with Bill, and think the world of him. And the reason that that's important is you know some organizations have the venture team report, for instance, to a senior product group. And, you know, if you look at what we do, probably 80% of what we do is very synergistic with our core business, you know, in the relatively near term, right? So we we either complement a business we already have, i.e. we invest in something that will help expand the business or it's something that the business can use as a tech tuck in technology, but every once in a while we have to make bets on things that are, and I'll give a very abstract discussion again about this, but I mean, you know, general discussion, but you know, we want, we were investing in cloud stuff three or four years ago and some people would say to us, why do you do that? That helps move loads off-prem. Aren't you investing in something competitive? That's not good for the company. You know, in our response, and again, this is a minority of the amount of investment we do, maybe a, maybe a fifth of it or something, and our response has to be, no, that's kind of where the world is moving, and we need to be investing in things and acquiring assets um, that move us in that direction. Um, and as everybody knows, we bought a company called VirtuStream um, um, recently. We just announced the closing of it, I think it was this week, um, and 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 you know now we all understand that hey there's this thing called the hybrid cloud and we're going to have cl- you know on-prem capability as well as off-prem and we have to do both. But that's why it's so important to get this right. If if we were you know if we were in a product group who didn't believe in that vision and they stopped us from doing it, we'd we'd wake up three years later and we'd be in a worse position. So. You know, getting all that worked out and making sure that uh, getting, frankly, my my getting myself comfortable that the company was behind us and would give us the flexibility we needed to, so that we could contribute the most 
possible to the company. And I, I and I'll really say this, and I'm not just blowing smoke. Is it's been a great three and a half years, and I've just been you know hugely impressed with the senior management team and their willingness both to take risk and allow us to to do some things um, that I think you know are really good for the federation long term. So it's been great. I love the uh, I love the story, Pat Gelsinger telling you to stop goofing around and and so he's like, hey, come here and we we've got two billion dollars that you can spend on M and A, and then like a hundred million dollars that you can spend on venture investments. I mean, that's pretty awesome. I don't know that you could you could goof around anymore, um, but I you know I gotta say like we just spent what one point two billion dollars on on uh, Virtue Stream. So, how much you got left in the kitty for this year? Yeah, I don't. Um, uh, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the next time you talk to Pat, ask him what he's doing goofing around over at VMware. Um, yeah. Well, by the way, what he said to me just to give. Actually, I, I, I toned it down a little bit. I think he said, <laughs> you know, those of you who know Pat know that he can be a very direct communicator. And I think what he actually said to me was something like, "When are you going to get a real job again?" Yeah. We, uh, I met, I met him. Uh, I, I guess it was a couple of VM worlds ago or so, and he he told a great story. Um, I challenge him to get on here if he has the guts. Um, but if <laughs> I, you know, he had a great story about his interaction with with himself and um, you know Steve Jobs regarding FireWire versus USB, and the story is classic, and it's just classic Pat. So when you told me that he told you to quit screwing around, um, I knew you were, I, I knew it was absolutely that person. You could tell that story probably and just go some person who worked at EMC who doesn't anymore. And I'd have known exactly who it was. You know? Right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, not, you know, we want to kind of see where things are going here. Not all ventures are really created equal, right? They're, they're all yep. a little different. What is it that makes EMC ventures different in your opinion? Well, yeah, you know, uh, if I were, yeah, that's a great question, and I, you know, there are a lot of things, but if I were really uh, to put my finger on it, uh, it would be the following. Look, at the end of the day, what we're here for and what we exist for is to help uh, the Federation achieve its strategic objectives, right? Now, obviously... Part of the magic here is um, making sure the f investments are good financial investments. Because if they're not good financial investments and their companies aren't successful, you're not going to achieve any strategic objectives either, right? But um, the thing that makes EMC so unique, and it's been a pleasure doing this, is that at the end of the day, what makes M&A successful and venture successful is that the culture, the broader culture of the Federation uh, has to um, be accepting of these entities. You know, people have to be willing to go out there and explore technology. The engineering teams have to be open-minded, not closed-minded, i.e., they need to be willing to talk to people from the outside and get new ideas and share things. The marketing people have to be open to a different vision of where the industry is going than the one that maybe predominates inside the company. The sales teams have to be willing to, you know, um, you know, take technology and take it in a place and, and, and try and adapt it to customer needs and that sort of thing. And 
I think Peter Drucker, I think it was Drucker, I don't know, I, I may be mixing up authors here, but somebody said uh, that, you know, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. And I think it's an awesome quote, and I love it, and it perfectly summarizes why doing venture and M&A at uh, EMC is so different than many other places. And it's because the culture is so open and receptive to new ideas and doing things differently and absorbing companies that we buy and having them be successful that that culture, and by the way, that culture is a massive competitive advantage because it's not easy to replicate, right? You can always, somebody else can run off and build a venture team and hire some smart people and hopefully do things. It's the combination of a good corporate development and venture team and then everybody else at the company and the culture here that allows us to be successful. That's probably the single biggest differentiator. Yeah, I, I got to say I agree with you, Scott. I mean, um, we're doing some pretty cool stuff, right? Not to toot our own horn, but I, I feel like we're we're making very big strides to to turn this this massive ship in the right direction. And it's yep. going to take a little bit of effort and time, um, but we're, we're doing the right things. And I think we've got a, a great leadership team, and and you're you're part of driving driving that boat. So that is really cool to see. Um, you know, we we've done some cool investments, right? DSSD, Spanning, Magnetics, Virtue Stream, amongst you know Extreme IO. Yeah. What of those was like the most exciting um, acquisition or, or 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 venture investment for you? Oh, you know, um, you know. Look, I, I think the extreme IO thing has deal has been you know in recent history, and I, and I can't you know. There's a well. Let me back up and say the following. First of all, an earlier comment you made is absolutely true. Every one of these things is unique. I mean, at the risk of sounding a little trite, you know, the truth is every one of these things. They're like your kids. You know, every you love every one of them. Uh, they're all unique in their own way, and your job as a parent is to not try to make one of your kids be something different than they are. It's not trying to, and your job is not to compare them to your other kids. You know, the your job is to love each one for its own unique reasons and work with them to try to make them be what they can be, right? And, um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, something that's most exciting, gosh, you know, the the extreme IO thing was about as straight a shot as there is, right? We we picked it up, we worked on it, and trust me, there was a lot of, you know, in the proverbial example of the duck looks very calm on the surface, but the legs are paddling frantically <laughs> under the surface. I you know, love there that. Were you know, we almost, you know, we had times where we weren't sure we wanted to do the deal. We thought hard about should we walk from the deal? We decided to do it. We got in there. We had technical issues. We sweated bullets, whether um, that, I mean, you know, we launched it. You know, uh, we didn't know how to, we weren't sure how to position it. We weren't sure how it fit in the, pro I mean, so, you know, this, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like they say, you know, now it's clearly a success. You guys have done a stunning job selling it. It's one of the fastest ramping products ever in history, it's an unadulterated success, but I'll tell you, there were literally probably a dozen times in the history from investment to acquisition to go to market 
where the entire company, you know, I mean, the entire management team and the company struggled around some fundamental decision about a, a direction. And there's, you know, hats off to to that team and some key people at EMC who made it happen. But, you know, these all look, you know, you know, you know, as everybody says, success has a thousand fathers and failures has, you know, none. Nobody wants to be associated with it. And even this one that was super successful, you know, had a bunch of touch and go moments to it. But that's probably the one in recent to answer your question has been the most exciting to watch how, how much it's contributed to the Federation. Very cool. Yeah, great story. You know, for me, I think I'm just waiting for DSSD to pop. I think that's, I mean, the whole in-memory computing and, uh, you know, our story and, and what we can do around that. I'm I'm really excited about that guy. That's going to be pretty cool. I've been to a handful of, of uh, EBCs in, in Boston and Santa Clara uh, executive briefings, and um, the product management team has been there talking about DSSD, what they're seeing in the field, what it's capable of, and it is pretty mind-blowing. So, um, I feel like that's going to be that's going to be pretty huge for us uh, very very shortly. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that, and you know that that team is a stunning team. You know, it was a company that was founded by Andy Bechtelsheim, which those of you and and uh, and a and a crew of five or six other you know really super capable you know engineers with an unbelievable track record and. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody knows, you know, Andy's founder of Sun and Granite and Arista and a whole bunch of other companies. And, you know, and we're in the middle of that, of that um, you know, period where we're sorting through all these hard decisions right now, you know, figuring out, you know, how we're going to position the product, how we're going to take it, what are the use cases, you know, it's going to require some software adaptation, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, we're going to be depending on you guys again to um, – once the product's you know ready to launch, um, and we're going to be depending on you guys again to help make this successful. So I'm really happy to hear you're enthused about it, and uh, you know on that one I'm still in the hold my breath phase and chew my fingernail phase. So you're, we've all heard our parents tell us not to chew our fingernails, so stop doing that. Um, <laughs> but the you know what I really want to know, you know some of the other things we've done, uh, you know acquisitions around analytics and things like that. I don't really want to talk specifically about those. What I want to know is, are you guys starting to leverage things that we talk about in the field to help, you know, guide your decisions, do things? Are you guys using big data? Are you doing, are you doing analytics oh, yeah. against things? You know, how is that working inside of your team? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, so we have a, you know, I have a, you know, we have a small team, you know, five, six people on the venture side, I guess, six, seven investing uh, folks. Um, and yeah, we're absolutely, um, you know, actively involved, as is, you know, as is the Corp Dev M&A team. So, um, in fact, I just closed a transaction last week uh, that will, that has to do with, you know, um, it's going to make our data lake strategy um, much more viable and practical and immediate. And it's a great deal because it, allow, it allows you to create a data lake that leverages all of our storage infrastructure, you know, everything from a VMAX to an extreme I.O. Um, can be part of this data lake, right? So that you don't, you know, so if you have the loads that you want to use in an H HDFS kind of, um, 
you know, environment, that's great. That's what everybody thinks of. But hey, our customers have tons of data in other, you know, uh, storage environments also. And if you could make those a part of this big data lake, wouldn't that be exciting? So I can't say who that company is, um, but uh, uh, we we just closed the venture investment and uh, we'll be, um, you know, you may start seeing signs of this. Uh, they're just on the verge of launching product in the next few months, and you may hear more from us on that front. But that's an example of one in the in the big data front. And so, you know, my my kind of my last question regarding this whole how we stri- how do we how we choose to do these things um, is how much of EMC strategy to I guess quote unquote remain immortal or relevant. Um, you know, when we, especially when you see people who come and go from the top 50 companies over time, if you look at it 50 years ago versus today, what names yep. remain the same, how much yep. of that, our strategy to do so, uh, hinges on what you're doing today? Well, you know, we're a part of it and, uh, you know, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, Joe has, you know, this, um, concept of the federation and um you know we've got a bunch of tremendous assets you know we have you know pivotal rsa vmware emc we were we're actively involved in developing some of those businesses transitioning others so at the end of the day i think joe and the board and the scene you know the management team deserve all the credit for putting together what is really a unique structure and you know at the end of the day we're um we're we're like you guys are you know we're part of this uh and you know everybody contributes um you know their their unique perspective and ours is to be out there looking at things at the external world i think you know i i say this a lot but you know the thing that one has to remember is unlike 40 or 50 years ago and this gets to this topic of why corporate venture um if you look at all the venture dollars invested in, in the U.S. or even globally, for that matter, today, corporate venture is an established category. About 20% of all dollars invested are invested by corporates. And the reason that it's done is because what everybody realizes is no matter how big a company you are, no matter how dominant you are in your field, you know, if you're an Intel and semis or you know, a Google, an ad, or, you know, whatever. There is more investment dollars in your product areas being done outside your walls, meaning by venture and other people, than there are inside. It's just a fact of life, and it's undeniable. And if you are not tapped into that investment stream, understanding what's being invested in, where it's going, you're going to get blindsided. So, you know, what our contribution is, is to make sure that we are tapped into that. And, and, and by, by, by blindsided, what I mean is, you know, if, if what you're doing is reacting to these things at the last moment, it's too late, right? You can't, you can't absorb what people are doing uh, or, you know, you may get a, you know, and, and adjust to it. You may get away with one or two dive, you know, diving saves, but you can't make it a way of life, right? Eventually you're going to get surprised and hurt. So the, the, you know, our role is to make sure we're plugged into that investment and development stream. And when I say we, I don't mean just a venture team. I mean the whole company, right? That the, our engineers 
know about it and we've socialized it with them, the business units, the marketing people. And so as these things are going on, you have a you have enough lead time, you know, a few years to really understand what it's doing, watch how it develops, internalize it and decide what, if anything, we want to do about it. So at the end of the day, hopefully that's the value we're bringing. Yeah, definitely. We I think we all we all see uh, and feel the value every day. Um, you know, it, it, it's a great direction that I think we're heading. So with that, it sounds you know we're we're doing a lot of um, business development and corporate development. So what I want to know is uh, you personally. You were telling us about the extreme weekends that you have, right? Because you've got these extreme weeks of just corporate development and venture capitalists. Um, what do you do on the weekend that's equally extreme? Well, you know, I uh, the 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 one part of my job that if I, I if I had the choice of changing, I would is that uh, you know my family's up in uh, my fa- I travel a lot. I'm literally on the road at least four days a week. Um, so my when uh, I work out of uh, Palo Alto, that's where our, our ventures office is, and I I you know and then I try and get back to the Boston area, the Hopkinton area, every fourth or fifth week or so. But, um, you know, when I'm on the road, it's really hard to take care of yourself because you're kind of going from early morning to late in the evening. But, uh, yeah, on the weekends, I, I happen to live in a nice little community in Oregon called Lake Oswego, which is just outside of Portland. So we're on a lake. So my my weekend routine is Friday after the, the day is slowing down. I hit the gym and do try and do a mile or two in the pool, and then I get up Saturday morning early and try and knock off a 60-mile bike ride. And then, Six um, zero, just so we, everyone hears that. Six zero bike yeah, ride. The fun, yeah, but the fun part is doing it fast, right? So you, lie, <laughs> you, know, you get out there and you you got you got to keep it above 20 miles an hour and, uh, and crank it. And then on, on uh, Sundays I try... Our lake is about, I don't know, it's probably an eight-mile round trip. I try and do an eight-mile paddleboard. But that's to burn all the stress out, take care of the body, and then I go abuse myself for the next four or five days till the next weekend. <laughs> so I've, I've been watching a bunch of shows on, uh, on Discovery and things like that, and there's always the, you know, the River Monsters show. So what lurks in the deep that's come up and said, you know, Scott's paddleboard looks pretty tasty? Well, you know, it's pretty funny that you asked that. I was talking, we have the sheriff that patrols the lake, and I, I was out paddleboarding last weekend, and he, I know him pretty well. He's a good guy. And uh, he, uh, he said, hey, I got this call the other day. One of the folk residents on the lake said that there was a shark up against her dock. And he said he, said he got, you know, this is a freshwater lake, by the way, so uh, don't know of any species of shark uh, that lives permanently in fresh water so evidently there there the the lake was built in the you know developed in the 20s and 30s and i guess they stocked it with sturgeon and there was like a 10-foot sturgeon that had died and washed up against their dock so but i don't think they have teeth do they so i think i'm okay i'm sure they'll figure out how to grow teeth and by the way um they've They've spotted bull shark as as far up as like ten miles into the into the rivers in uh, Florida. So this whole no sharks in freshwater thing, I think they've got you fooled. 
Okay, <laughs> well then I'm 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 keeping my feet out of the water. Yeah, I'm 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 honestly very scared of everything that says you know that, that is the bull shark. I think they're the bad guys. You know, Great White's got the bad rap, but it's the bull sharks that are causing all the problems. Um, yep. I, and apparently some sturgeon here and there. They're they're actually yeah. a distant cousin cousin of the bull shark. Um, <laughs> okay. Down here, down here, that same phone call would happen for an alligator gar. Uh, which is basically a a large spear of fish that eats anything and has you know has like r- razor teeth a mile long. So yeah. Um, so you know that that's a lot of fun. I think you probably also tend to be kind of a student of the culture and business trends in general. I mean we we had to we we had to try hard to find out who you are aside from working. And I think you kind of self identify with a lot of work. I think you do it a lot, and that's why you're so good at it. So, you know, what is it about, you know, trends, uh, changes in society and things that kind of align with your job? You know, are, is there anything like that that's kind of interesting to you right now? Um, you know, well, first of all, I do like the work. It really, um, I love it. It's, you know, working with, you know, entrepreneurs, working with the great team at EMC. And I, I mean, I, I genuinely do. It's just, it's incredibly stimulating i feel very lucky to be able to do it um you know it's funny you know the best way i would answer this for you is that you know i hit the work world i think in 1980ish or something uh and my first job was at a company called osborne computer uh if some of you may be able to remember that far back but you know i have a daughter who's in who's in college now and i was you know, I was thinking back to, look, you know, this was pre, you know, any kind of cell phone era, pre-portables, pre-all that stuff. And you look at the world we live in now versus, you know, what it was like when I entered the workforce. And I was thinking about this with her, and I was trying to give her some sense of, you know, what the, you know, world would be like. And, you know, and if and if you let go a little bit, and let your mind wander. I mean, there's there's so many things that we all know are going to be true. I mean, you know, machine learning, so many of the things that we do manually today are just going to be done automatically by, you know, semi-intelligent, you know, algorithms running on everything from our cell phones to, you know, whatever. You know, you'll say, hey, I'm going on, I want to go to vacation on Costa Rica, you know, let me know what good options are, and things are going to go crawl your calendars, it'll tell you the weeks you could take vacation without missing board meetings or whatever, and, you know, tell you, come back with the fight, you know, so all that kind of stuff, you know, medical and informatics, I mean, you know, people are going to be replacing parts of their bodies with, you know, you know, digital retinas or digital hearing device. I mean, all these kind of things. It, you know, the, the, um, you know, we, you know, the self-driving cars. You know, no, nobody's, get, you know, not clear to me that anybody's going to own cars. And why would you own a car in ten years, right? I mean, I mean, for what? I mean, I mean, think about what you do with your car. You guys probably use them a lot because you're probably driving around a lot. But most of us. You know, you get in a car, you drive for 30 minutes, and then it sits there. You have a capital asset that spends 22 hours a day doing nothing, right? It's very poor, very inefficient use of capital for society. So, you know, we can, you know, um, go on and on. But, it, you know, if 
if you if if we all step back and think about what life is going to be like 10 or 20 years from now it's so profoundly different than it is now and i the reason i like having this conversation with my daughter was that i just think you know it's so important for them to to realize what they're going to be a part of and not to feel bound by um the world we live in and we've created, you know, one of what there was a guy who was one of the founders of Intel. His name was Bob Noyce, just a tremendous guy. Um, and he had this quote that I just loved, and this is basically what I was saying to her in so many words without quoting Bob, which is his quote was, "Don't be encumbered by history. Just go out and do something great." And you know, that's what it's about. You know, we all. We all have to live, you know, we all deal with, you know, business politics, the corporate politics, the, you know, the, you know, the limitations of life. You know, at the end of the day, what life is about is moving the ball forward for humanity in some way that you can look back on and say, you know, hey, I made a contribution. I moved, I nudged, I nudged society forward a little bit in a way that was pro-life, pro, you know, pro, you know, good development and pro making a difference in people's lives and um you know we're all lucky to be able to be part of an industry where the rate of change is so high that we can make those contributions man we are really lucky to be a part of this what what else could be this exciting right yeah you know it's interesting so you brought up uh things about the 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 bionics uh new implants for our bodies um, so, you know, these things are going to give us, you know, different superpowers that we like to think. So if you look at your team, Scott, um, are they like, uh, you know, any superhero community, like the super friends where everyone has their own specialty, their own superpower, and one is better than the other at, uh, a specific thing? Well, you know, um, uh, gosh, you're going to. You know, I don't. Want, I don't want to go on record as complimenting these guys too much, and guys and gals, I will add. But you know, we we have a great team of folks. You know, uh, both on the 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 corp dev M and A team and and on the venture team, and they all do have, you know, their 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 specialties. You know. Uh, um, you know, uh, we have you know we have a guy who's a PhD physicist. Uh, you know, who's you know uh, a great investor. We have a guy who founded two venture firms and was the former CIO at Stanford. We have a former circuit designer at, from Intel and Cisco who now leads our efforts in Israel. We have a, an ex CPU designer at Intel, and all of these guys have had you know ten years of you know, venture experience on our on our corporate development team. We've got a you know uh, an ex Scadden Arps uh, attorney that runs it. We've got you know some just really sharp uh, you know you know ex finance, ex banking, ex We just we have a really phenomenal team both across the corp dev team and the venture team. And I'll tell you, it's a pleasure to for me to work with them. You mentioned a lot of XXs, so I'm going to, it's kind of a different, uh, it's EX, but you actually have the X-Men form there in EMC Ventures as well. <laughs> um, so they are super friends after all, it's just not uh, DC, we're over at Marvel now. Um, yes. So, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why I was really interested to talk to you is I've, I've 
heard tangentially a bunch of stories about SEs who've gotten involved with um, doing, you know, the due diligence against a company to see what it's like, you know, to get their perspective on it. So how do, how do our field SEs, you know, nerds like me and Brent, how do we get involved in those kind of things? Yeah, so typically what happens is if if we're looking at a venture, a venture investment or an acquisition, if you're somehow associated with the company, at some point there's going to be diligence done and usually we, you know, if we find out about your relationship with you, we'll reach out to you and talk to you and and try and get your um, you know, your point of view. The other thing of course is uh our main man, Mr. Uh, Chad Sackich uh, and I are actually in a regular, see, bi-monthly, I think is the right phrase, twice a month meeting with um, the heads of the business units and, and David and, and Jeremy and stuff. And we, you know, we actually go through all these things and we, we run, you know, things we're looking at by them. So you guys are absolutely represented at the top. Chad is a, plays just a tremendous role as, as not only voice of the customer, but, you know, you know, his perspective on what he sees going on in the marketplace by talking to so many customers. And, you know, Chad and I are bonded, wedded at the hip, and talk regularly and exchange emails about this stuff regularly. So he's kind of, uh, and I know he reaches out to you guys directly when, you know, he wants more perspective. So the fact of the matter is you're you're absolutely a part of this through Chad and, and um you know, he plays a big role in this. And I, you know, I'm starting to like this Chad guy. Um, you know, I can't, <laughs> uh, he's kind of neat. So, you know, what is there, are there any SEs that you can recall that got involved in something? Or is there any sort of unique story where an, an SE's perspective really weighed or weighed, if you know, for or against, you don't have to say if it was for or against, but are there any fun stories of one where an SE did that themselves and you kind of remember it? Uh, you know, I don't have anything that jumps. I mean, uh, Chad, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, literally there's, you know, there's five or six of these. There's, uh, you know, and again, I'm not at liberty to name the companies, but, uh, you know, there were a couple of them where, you know, Chad and I were, you know, you know, felt really strongly that this is, there was something we should do and, and, uh, you know, and, in some cases carried the day in some cases didn't um but that's how these things work right and uh so uh, uh yeah categorically chad is a very influential voice on these things and um um you know critical having him involved well scott i got to tell you that uh this typically is a uh an hour long podcast but you're providing really, really cool content, and uh, I, I know that our listeners are going to love to hear it. So we're going to go a little long today. Um, so if that suits your fancy and you've got time in your calendar, we'd love to keep you on a little longer. Sure, I can. Let me see. What time is it, by the way? I have to... It's uh, 8.42 your time. Yeah. I th- yeah, I can keep going. I think I've got a call at 9. I have to be on. Okay. All right, let's wrap this up. We got another 10 minutes yeah. or so to get uh, some valuable some more valuable insight from you, Scott. And uh so they, we did want to talk about there was a couple of things we promised um and that was really around kind of the anatomy of an interesting deal. Um so yeah. we, you know, we wanted to ask you how deals are brought to you, kind of what the funnel is, um where do they come from, how are they looked at? So give us some insight on that. Yeah. So, you know, the process of getting funded is really a very steep pyramid. You know, everybody, 
here's the stories that, you know, the typical venture firm, you know, uh, reviews a thousand deals, maybe looks hard at a hundred, and maybe one of those gets funded. So you know, one tenth of one percent, and the, and those stories are true. That that is, you know, everybody reads constantly about companies being funded, and so, you know, availability bias would lead you to think that, you know, um, and you hear about these big numbers, you know, you know. Twelve billion dollars invested this quarter in venture, and you you know so you think anything that moves is being funded. The reality is it's a very very steep pyramid to get funded. Those numbers are not significantly different for us. So we look at many hundred companies. What most people don't know is that uh, most quality venture firms, corporate or private, um, those thousand funds that come or opportunities that come in. Are already been vetted, right? I mean, they're coming, they're being referred by people that you know, that understand what does and doesn't make a deal. They understand what you're interested in and whether it's a fit for you. So, um, you know, so the pyramid is even steeper than it appears, you know, based on the stats, right? Because uh, there's already an upfront screening process that's taking place. Um, so, you know, the the things that make a deal relevant are all the things, you know, that they're, they're, I'll say the obvious things and then we'll talk specifically about EMC. You know, the obvious things are, you know, great team, right, big market, um, you know, uh, significant moat around the technology, you know, all those sorts of things that any venture um, uh, firm looks for. And then the unique part on the EMC side is it really needs to be somehow strategically aligned with where we're going or what we're trying to achieve. Um, you know, um, so you know th those are probably the biggest things, or strategically aligned, or potentially fundamentally disruptive in a way that we should be paying attention to. And th those are the things that we look for. And, it, and it, you know, quickly, is there at what point in the in the company's existence do you kind of prefer to get engaged at? Yeah, no, that's a good question. You know, we you know we were kind of doing B and C rounds uh, fundings. Uh, the market is a little bit frothy right now, so we have rotated and we've gone earlier. I would say. You know, probably eighty percent of our deals are now Series A and Bs. Um, because the later stage are got they've gotten too expensive, um, and um, so so we're going early on the venture side. And when you're going early like that, I mean, it sounds like you know maybe did, did that change kind of the investment horizon you're looking for in regards to kind of getting returns, or you know as you as you either make money that brings back in money into the the portfolio, or you know causes an acquisition or causes it to be you know brought in in some manner. What has that horizon changed, or what is it? Um, yeah, it does because as you go, as, as, you know, as we discussed earlier, you know, earlier in the podcast, you know, the typical time from, you know, Series A funding to, you know, exit is, you know, eight, nine years. Um, you know, the earlier you go, you know, every time you, you, you shift, uh, a series earlier, a series typically funds somebody for 18 to 24 months. So, you're right. You're taking bigger technical risk, bigger market risk. If you go earlier, um, you get a better valuation, hopefully. 
uh, and you're probably delaying maturity uh, or you're going two years earlier in maturity uh, per, per round. Okay. So um, when you invest in, in, a, in a great company that turns out to be amazingly fruitful, um, do you ever, or does your team get, get uh, kind of a kickback Meaning, do you get more funds to invest into something else, or is it just kind of set by a budget yearly, irregardless yeah. or regardless rather of, um, of of how well whatever you invested in or purchased went? Yeah. So, a couple comments on that. So, uh, we invest off the balance sheet. We don't create a separate fund, um, uh, you know, a separate pool of money you know, that's structured legally as a fund. We just invest off the EMC balance sheet. And I have an informal agreement uh, with David and Dennis Cashman about, um, you know, that I, you know, hey, I think I, you know, to get, to do the job for EMC that we want to do, we think we need roughly X amount of money. And if I think that something's going on that year that, you know, that we should invest more than that, I try and give them a heads up as early in the year you know, as possible. So, um, you know, we just do it directly off off the balance sheet. And so, that you kind of brought up a question. It's it's really my last question for this. It it, it seems like um, there's you know obviously different types of corporate ventures. Um, some of them are extremely tightly coupled towards um, the way the corporation is headed, um, and yep. then obviously some others are less tightly coupled, and they actually become limited investors in other funds where you're just putting money out there, and the other fund is really drives all the direction. Are you That's fully right. are you fully tightly coupled, or are we also limited investors in other funds? Um, you know, we, we generally don't invest in other funds. And, and just to amplify your question just a, a, a bit, um, if you look, you're, you're absolutely right. There are a wide range of models for doing corporate venturing. So if you look at, like, Google Ventures or, you know, at one extreme, they, they tend to be early stage, they're pure financial investors, right? They set up funds that the Google gives them, and they don't worry that much about strategic alignment. That's part of their corporate philosophy. You know, there's the Sapphire Ventures, which tends to be later stage, and they're, they're pretty much kind of spun out independent also, you know, and and we fall in the category of one that's, um, you know, strategically aligned with the company. Um, we're here to uh, achieve the strategic goals of the company um, and facilitate that, which means everything from aligned investments to things that we think are potentially, you know, disruptive to us. But no, we're firmly in the strategic camp. We're not running a fund for just financial return. That, and that's, that's good, right? I think that uh, if, if that was the only reason we were doing stuff, I, I mean, I know we're all in for shareholder value, but um, there's got to be an opportunity to, to do something for, for greater good in addition to, to um, you know, helping out the organization as a, as a whole. Yep, Absolutely. So that said, Scott, um, we've kind of come to the end here. I know you've got some uh, other priorities that you need to focus on as well. Yep. So if we could ask you, uh, you know, we've been listening to you for a while today. Um, we're, 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 I think we're always humbled by our guests uh, and their, their intelligent quotient here. Uh, so what are some of the um, either websites that you follow in the morning uh, 
that you alluded to earlier, uh, and yeah. some books that you've read that uh, you know can help people, uh, uh, you know, move to or, or aspire to be on your level. Well, uh, I, you know, I, you know, I don't think I'm on any different level than anybody else. But, but you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I look at a range of uh, things. Uh, you know, all the general things that, you know, general interest, you know, from, uh, uh, you know, the Journal, the New York Times, Market Watch. I follow this interesting little economics um, uh, blog uh, guy that's had a great record, track record forecasting recessions. Uh, it's called Calculated Risk. Uh, you know, I follow all the, you know, the tech sites, you know, VentureBeat, TechCrunch, you know, the Register, right, uh, all those kind of things. So, and, and, you know, I'll tell you, unfortunately, I, was, I, I am historically a great reader and, and like reading a lot. And, you know, man, my, the one thing I wish I had was, you know, and, you know, and I read The Economist and, you know, a handful of things. It's really hard to find time to read books. <laughs> you know, it just, you know, finding the time is just hard. But, um, well, that's why you should listen to uh, Wicked Smart podcasts like ours. Exactly, and I'll be I'll be a reg. Send me that link. Uh, you've got it. Uh, and by the way, tell all your friends, right? So tell the venture community that we're out here. And uh, I did want to go ahead and do a shout out. Hey, I just say, I got one more thing to say on that. So when you guys hit it big and you're about, you know up there in Hollywood on the red carpet stuff, just you know remember me and your friends back here at the ranch, okay? Yeah, we have a. We, luckily, we I mean we barely have faces for podcasting, so I don't see us on any red carpets anytime soon. Um, okay, I don't know. Dream so, big, baby. <laughs> We, really we just need to start. We need to start biking sixty miles, paddle boarding eight miles, and then running miles endlessly before we. I think we can hit the red carpet. <laughs> yeah, well, I got a few soft spots too. I'm trying. I'm working on. So trust me, it's it's always a work in progress. All right. Well, Scott. First of all, we got to thank you very much for being on the hot aisle today. Um, you are you're an extremely uh, great guest. We learned a lot about what EMC is doing in the venture world so again thank you very much for for being on the podcast hey thank you guys it was a lot of fun have all right go out there and do something great as bob noy said all right we will armed with this knowledge we will so with that uh this has been the hot aisle my name is brent piatti my name is brian carpenter thanks for joining us we'll see you next week thank you it's a pleasure